welcome to the 222 Paranormal Podcast. I'm your sassy host, Jen and Joe. Hello. Who's sassier, you or me? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> so we finally, after finally. three attempts, yes. got Bill on Michelle. Yes. Yeah, so with us today, we have Bill Konkoleski. He is the Michigan MUFON State Director. And if you don't know what MUFON is, it's the Mutual UFO Network. He's been the director since 2004, and he has written a couple of books. He is the author of Experiencer, Raised in Two Worlds. He is an investigator, consultant, and lecturer on the UFO and the UFO contact phenomenon. Now, he does go all across the country yeah. for events, yep. and he actually has two books now. So there is a second book to his Experiencer which the first one came out in 2009, and then his second book, the part two, came out in 2020. So welcome to the show, Bill Konkoleski. Thank you for having me on. Yes, author, (laughs) new author again. Congratulations on your second book. Well, thank you. Tell us a little bit about the second book. Okay, so my first book, Raised in Two Worlds, came out in 2009, and the topic of that book was my personal contact experiences and paranormal experiences up until about age 20. The second book, Two Worlds Collide, picks up where that book left off and goes the next five years. There are more experiences beyond that period that aren't covered in the book, but that time period is such a tight tapestry of things happening that it made sense to sort of isolate those events in that age group and put it out as its own thing. Now, is this all UFO-related activity, or yep. is there other activity? Mostly, Ua- mostly UFO. Um, there are some things also that I share um, with my family because it runs on my mom's side of the family, so other family members get in and have some of their stories in there too. And I talk a little bit more about Moldavite, which I also spoke about in my first book, Uh, It's a really strange stone that uh, has been taken (laughs) repeatedly from me by I don't know who. It disappears, and then I had one that came back, and it's a really weird story about that. And then when I start to talk about Moldavite, I come to find out that people all over the place have very similar stories about disappearing and reappearing Moldavite. What color stone is that? It's uh, actually extraterrestrial. It fell to Earth in the Moldau Valley in what was Czechoslovakia. And I'm not sure if it's the Czech Republic or Slovakia. I'm not sure geographically what it is now. But it's a greenish stone. It looks like a sort of like if you like a busted uh, Mountain Dew bottle. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of a crude analogy, but it, and it uh, I I was meditating with it when I was young, and no stone ever has had this type of effect on me. So here's a UFO guy talking about crystals, but uh, I know, right? but but it's in the book. I still think it all interconnects. I mm-hmm. really do. UFOs, poltergeist activity, stuff like that. I think it does all intertwine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, because I've sure. heard so many people that even Bigfoot, even Bigfoot experiencers talk about they start getting poltergeist activity and start seeing more UFOs and stuff, whether mm-hmm. they're opening themselves up to the, par- the paranormal or if it's just starting to happen more and more to them because they saw the UFO or the, or the Bigfoot of that. But I, I seriously think it's all intertwined. Right, and there are a lot of people out there who have theories about 
exactly what is the common ground between these. And where I, I think that I, I go for my theory about it is that I don't think the ETs, at least not all the ETs, but certain species of ETs, are not naturally physical beings. They occupy physical forms, almost like drones, almost like puppets, to interact with our physical world. And once you have those beings not even being physical, but being in a state of consciousness, mm-hmm. then you know, then that's the same realm as ghosts. And people say Bigfoot um, appears, disappears, is seen with UFOs. Mm-hmm. And so certainly there's a lot of non-physical stuff out there that momentarily occupies our space. Yeah. And I think that's where the common ground is, is outside our dimension. It's almost like they're interdimensional, but they have substance to where they can leave footprints or leave evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, even with the UFOs, people have seen where a ship has landed and it left imprints, sort of like in Erie, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. where on the beach it left those long cone-shaped imprints in the sand. Mm-hmm. But yet they just go up and they either vanish or they disappear or they turn into a ball of light or it's if we knew all the answers we would be millionaires but right we'd have the ultimate book (laughs) but it's just so fascinating to me about all the strangeness that you get into once you start digging into this stuff Mm And when you have people, another thing is like if you have somebody from a ghost uh, hunting tradition that decides to switch gears and go into the UFO investigation field, they bring all sorts of concepts, ideas, and ways to investigate the phenomena that are uh, automatically native to people that came into investigation from a UFO background. Yeah. Yeah. How long did it take you to write your book since you were uh, we were all uh, on lockdown last year? <laughs> Was it fairly easy and quick to write that? Yeah. Um, one of the things about the, the second book was that I had a good chunk of it written when I finished the first book over 10 years ago. And I just knew that it, was, it told a different story and I wanted to have it be separate. And one of the problems that I had releasing it was it was from a time in my life where I dated a bunch of girls and there's some personal drama with friends I still have. And if I were to put that book out, um, it'd be like my wife and my kids would be like, yay, new book out. And I'd be like, yeah, it's about old girlfriends (laughs) and weird stuff that happened. And I had to make sure that it would go out smoothly and without a hitch and... You know, during COVID, my wife had a chance to, you know, read it. And she's like, yeah, you can put this out. That's no problem. And so, so I did. And then I even freshened up my first book so that the, it fixed some of the formatting, grammar, and it has a new cover. And my first book now has a foreword by Peter Robbins, who's awesome. And okay. Mike Clellan, um, who also is the artist for the two covers, does a foreword for my second book. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, what's happening in Michigan lately? Do you do you think that because we were all like on lockdown, that people were and spending more time at home, that people were maybe out investigating, like just being looking up in the stars more? It, did the activity ramp up or slow down during COVID? For two reasons, more activity certainly. Uh, the first reason is you're right. People were at home, had more chance uh, to be outside, and if you're outside, more chance to see the open sky. The other thing that happened was Elon Musk 
he I don't know if you're familiar with Starlink satellites, yeah. but for anybody who's listening who may not be, Elon Musk has this grand idea to blanket our near atmosphere with satellites, which will boost um, internet signal. So you can have internet signal anywhere on the planet, like for example, out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, internet, you know, Antarctica, internet. And these satellites, they run them up into sky as a chain of satellites. And so when you see these things, they look like an, a UFO invasion. Yeah. They, they look like a fleet of UFOs. So uh, a lot of people saw those and reported those as UFOs. So it's a double whammy. Wow. In fact, it got so bad, uh, people reporting Starlink satellites, that you have to click through this screen when reporting a UFO at MUFON. Say, are you sure you didn't see these? No. You sure? Okay, now you can yeah. <laughs> submit your report. They may have taken that down by now, but that was up for last time I checked. It is freaky seeing those because it's just all of a sudden you see one dot and you see the next one and the next one and the next one and you're like, okay. And if you don't know what you're looking at, it definitely looks like a fleet of UFOs. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of, like, number of satellites in space junk orbiting our thing. It, would that attract some of these alien life forms or... or other entities to come in maybe to see like what is all this stuff circling this planet you think that has anything to do with them being curious about us i don't know see the the thing is that they come from such a tremendous distance that i'm not sure how much what we have floating out and in near orbit would attract them but it is possible some of the signals that the satellites send out may be picked up at unknown distances. You know, we know so very little about who's out there yeah. and what technology that they, they use. We just, you know, do uh, <laughs> our best guessing game. And um, so far, they haven't uh, invaded. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's, good. it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, because they definitely, if they have the technology to go that far mm -hmm. to another solar system or whatever. They, they, pay, they, make, they make house calls. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, they don't uh, um, say, okay, this continent is ours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. Sure. Now, have you um, had, oh, I want to say, have you ever had a personal experience with an alien life form or just with seeing crafts? Oh, many personal contact okay. experiences, yeah. And that, uh, going back to my books, my books are all about my personal contact experiences for the most part. Mm -hmm. That is the majority of each of these books, as well as UFO sightings and other paranormal things. My very first memory in life, H2, is of a little gray guy coming into my room. Oh yeah. my gosh. And, and it's not something that several years ago I was like, oh yeah, that might have happened to me. No, I burned in my memory the moment it happened and I never forgot it. Wow. And do you believe that is like the catalyst for this whole journey that you've been on throughout your life of like pursuing sure, and yeah. learning and having an understanding of this? I have, a, I have remembered experiences from age 2, 4, 7, 9, 10, several in my teen years and a handful in my 20s. And it seemed to slow down about age 30. And I didn't know if it was because of my age, but a lot of people that I was network with who were having experiences all claimed at right about the same time that uh, the experiences took a pretty big drop. Interesting. Now you said this is generational from your mother's side, did you say? Yeah. It so, mm -hmm. 
why not so much on your father's side? Do you think it's just the certain line, like your line on that side, is just more open to it? Or do you think that they've been watching you all this time? Or Hard to say. Um, one of the things to be considered is they're looking at us as a scientific, through a scientific lens. They probably would best benefit from repeat visits, which they do, and then seeing um, generation to generation and tracking and recording and, and all of that. Um, so that is one aspect, and it's also a theory, and both, both of these theories might be true, but the other theory is something about certain people's DNA permits them sort of a sixth sense, in effect, to be able to connect with them. Like they're drawn, uh, the beings are drawn to people with a specific sort of compatibility. Have you ever done any genetic coding or, or testing on yourself? Like, have you ever done like 23andMe and no, find out no. what, <laughs> what your lineage is? They'd be like, oh, you're 50% from Earth. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. We can't explain what this <laughs> genome is, right? But, uh, is that a common theme, though, in, in people that have these experiences that it has run in their family? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And and another thing uh, that some people listening might be chomping at the bit for somebody to say is that uh, negative blood types seem to be favored in terms of the experiencer community. Most people that have had these type of experiences are some form of negative. Now, I'm an A positive, so I buck that particular trend, but... Um, otherwise, yeah, that's one thing that seems to be an interesting genetic, uh, uh, at least strong coincidence. So with what you do, do you guys document all of those type of things when you have somebody that comes to you and says, I have the experience? Do you go through a list of like different things like, let's let's check this, let's mm-hmm. check this. Oh, that's so interesting. And then you try to compile everything. Is there like a sure. database that you guys have? That, yeah, yeah. Is that open to the public or no? Okay, so the abduction stuff is not as publicly cataloged as sightings. Okay. What happens when somebody reports a sighting to MUFON is that their personal information is edited out and then a version of what they saw is publicly at the website. You could go and look at all these different sightings and everything like that. One of the things that makes uh, the contact itself phenomena so much different is when you see a sighting report online, it would be like, I saw this orange ball of light fly overhead, do a 90 degree turn, and then shoot up in the sky. You're like, oh, cool, but that's the whole story. Now, say you take my one of my experiences from seven year old being seven. It comes, uh, the ceiling opened up in a void, these tentacles of metallic whatever dropped out of it. I found myself on board a craft. I went through several rooms. I was taken to a particular room on board. I got a cut on my arm. The next day, the the ETs came and checked up on me. That's a long story, (laughs) you know, and and it's a very personal story and it it makes it difficult to do sort of checkbox investigation. Like with the sighting I just mentioned a second ago, what color was it? Check the orange box. Yeah. Did it do anything? Inter- 90 degree turn? Yep. Make yeah. that check. You know, how long was it seen? For five seconds. Check that box. But, but yeah, so this, these contact encounters are a lot more complicated because 
like the one I just mentioned from myself very quickly, there's a lot more detail to it, obviously. It spans a couple days, and it involves, I have a scar on my arm from that experience. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it, it's, it's a lot more harder to put out in bite-sized yeah. uh, pieces, and a lot of times the people are a lot more shy. If they think that even an anonymous version of their story is going to go out, um, they can get cold feet. Mm-hmm. Unlike a lot of people that think, wow, I saw this UFO, you know, it was only a mile away. Yeah. It's a lot different than, you know, they took my, pulled me out of my bed. Yeah, it's a lot yeah, different. Yeah, to, to tell someone, well, the, the ceiling opened up and then mm-hmm. you're, you're changing, changing physics. Yes. Right. You know, it's just, um, now is there, are there cluster areas? Sort of like the missing 411 type cluster mm-hmm. areas or Bigfoot areas or stuff like that? What the data shows us, at least in terms of sightings, is that wherever you have more people, there are more sightings. Okay. It's always a yeah. population map. And uh, with regards to time of year, it's pretty static all year. Um, same amount of sightings the entire year. There is usually a slight, slight tiny spike around the 4th of July. <laughs> okay. But but apart from... <laughs> Yeah. Well, plus all the fireworks, fireworks and all that. Yeah. And so, so, so there isn't a correlating one with our experiencer data that I know about. Uh, MUFON sort of has a two-track investigation, one for sightings, one for contact experiences. And I haven't seen population maps for, for the well, in a long time. They used yeah. to do it. And I would say it's pretty much the same case. Wherever there's more people, there's okay. more activity. Now, have you ever run across people that call in for a sighting and then realize in that their dreams have been they dream about being abducted in that and find out that they've been getting abducted for years uh, well a version of what you're asking we see okay. where somebody will report a UFO to us see that we handle it um, caringly and professionally and then they will choose to say okay now that I've shared this with you let me share something a little bit more interesting okay. with you. And let me share this other thing that's a little more interesting yeah, with you. So the trust value goes up. And yeah, we used to, for a while, So, and some of the investigators still do this, but uh, we would, at the end of an investigation, ask somebody if they've ever seen another UFO. And a lot of times we'll, you know, somebody will say, yes, in fact, here's another one. But if you, in the cases where we had investigators ask a question, have you ever had anything else unusual happen to you? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. A lot of times, all you know, you get all the poltergeist uh, and other phenomenal type of things pulled in at that point. Yeah. And you find, yeah, a lot of people see UFOs also have this other stuff happen, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was always wondering about, I've, I've heard so many times where people would see a UFO and then realize, well, wait a minute. I've been being abducted for years, and never it never clicked in their mind until that time. Mm-hmm. It, it sort of like awoken their thoughts and awoken their memories mm-hmm. of that situation. Mm-hmm. You know? There's an odd aspect of it that oh, some people just flat out have a horrible time with it. It's it's it is a traumatic thing, but in cases where people can be made to be okay with it. Mm-hmm. I think that is what many of the visiting entities prefer. They don't want us necessarily traumatized. Yeah. And if we can be okay with it, 
Um, it certainly makes their interactions with us easier. And so I think in certain cases where people's memories suddenly open, it's at a moment where they can handle it. Yeah. Even if they don't think they can handle it. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, gosh, I'm going through COVID and this and that and whatever. Why now? And really, it's just it was the right moment for them to, to access it. Yeah. I wonder, too, like with COVID, because so many people had had their lives just kind of almost slowed down and stopped. And people had time to, like, think about things, you know, mm-hmm. like have time to write a book. It's like... <laughs> You know, like we're so busy and there's so much coming at us all the time and you've yeah. got your face and your phone out all, all the time. When you take that time to like slow down, let your thoughts clear, you know, you wonder like do paranormal or um, extraterrestrial or any type of strange, like does that open you up to be able to, to remember things that have happened or... Um, you know, give you time to meditate and, and think about things. And I find that my dreams were a lot more vivid and, and, mm-hmm. and I remembered them more mm-hmm. um, during this time because there was time just to be able to, like, your body relaxes. You know, because, like, I'm normally going 150 miles an hour. I got a full-time job. Take care of my mom. I got three side hustles going on. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I'm busy all the time. I don't have that time just to unwind and clear my mind and open myself up to like okay maybe there's some type of activity going on in my house but i never notice it because i'm always going 8,000 miles an hour do you find that like maybe people had really had time to think about their experiences in some of our downtime and and opening up did you, did your case cases or reportings increase yeah. during COVID? The, the the straight up sightings report Sighting reports did. The contact stuff, I don't think so. Another thing to add on to a a reason why that uh, might be true to to support what you're saying is if somebody is going into work every day, they may feel more aware of how they present themselves. But if somebody is at home, you know, they've been home for six months or whatever, they're like, I'm not seeing anybody around me anyway. You know, I don't have to go into work. I'll, yeah, so I'll, I'll just tell my story because, you know, I'm out of touch with society in general during COVID. So I, I could also see that those would be really good reasons. I, I haven't seen, I haven't heard anybody claim, you know, because of COVID situation, they are telling their story now. Though I could certainly see that could be a rationale. You know, you, you come to a lot of these conventions and I'm sure you hear this all the time. I've never told anybody this, but, yep. right? Like mm-hmm. that happens a lot. How do you determine somebody who you feel is legitimate versus somebody who just wants to give you a line of BS? Now, do you have oh. that BS meter? Do you have? Do you feel like you have that yeah, intuition yeah. about oh. people? Yeah, absolutely. A uh, great question. And um, um, I like the way uh, this guy, John Tenney, you might have heard of him. Never oh. heard of him. <laughs> never, ever. The, we love him. <laughs> the way he uh, the way he phrases it, he goes he goes two people come up to me, they tell me the same story. He goes, I, I guarantee you, I can tell you who you know is telling me the you know it actually happened to them when it comes to a, a paranormal experience. And yeah, I would say absolutely. One of the things that I had done at a conference a couple years ago is I did a presentation on yellow cards, is what I called it. When somebody starts telling you a story and you're like, hmm, I don't know about that. Hmm, I don't know about that. I wouldn't call them uh, red flags right off the bat because sometimes, you know, people have quirks and you're like, oh, okay, that's just how they are. And But, yeah, it, a certain, you know, category of things, 
One of the things, I'll, I'll throw out a couple things that are cautionary. If somebody uses proper nouns, um, first of all, if they say, this is Glor, I was visited by Glorgok from Ikshmaru, you know, whatever, that uh, generally in the, the broader community of experiencers, you don't hear this sort of use of proper nouns. And that's not a red flag. That may just be, you know, the being properly identifying themselves. So that's like a yellow card, like, hmm. And if the person makes themselves the hero of a story, that's also another one. Like, you know, they came to me and they told me that it was my duty to save the planet from um, climate crisis. And, you know, just, yeah. and, and now, you know, it's my mission from uh, my, you know, from my galactic calling and, you know, and, and it's not, you know, certainly people will have their motivations for um, following causes they believe, but there's that sort of hero aspect. I would say people who have this type of experience are either victims or they're befuddled. And even if they're grasping what's happening to them and being okay with it, that's about as good as you get. Beyond that, you know, they're, they're not coming here um, to glorify us. Yeah. <laughs> right. and, and so so that's another thing. And, yeah, just the way certain details run together, um, a lot of times you can tell, like, hmm, that was that matches something that somebody else said, so that gives it more credibility. Other times, the way they present it, I'm like, hmm, that sounds ex exactly like what somebody else was saying. So I'm thinking that they're lifting it from that person. Yes, yeah. And that's a very fine line there. But a lot of times, just, yeah, the language they use, they, you could tell, like, oh, I know they read this book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, or whatever. I always found it more believable if they come up to you and... For one, they say, well, I've never told anybody this, but mm -hmm. also they're almost really shy about telling you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not going to come up and say, yeah, the aliens come in every night. We have a party. We have, a, you know, we invite friends over here. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, if it's happening every single night to you, yeah. how come you don't have that on video? How come you don't have other witnesses? You yeah, know? there's a, definitely a degree of repeat repetition mm -hmm. that, yeah. that that is another yellow card. So, yeah, there's a lot to... to Look for and after you know I've been in MUFON for 28 years, so I've been connected with you know I, I've spoken with over well over 200 people who've had experiences similar to mine, and then some others that indicate they have and mm -hmm. yeah you can after a while you can tell there's mm -hmm. there's a, there's a lot of little micro tells. So I want to go a little deep into my own mind and ask some of the questions you probably heard this before, but. Why do they have lights? If they're traveling this <laughs> far, right? what is with the lights? Is it a signaling device? Mm -hmm. Is it just maybe propulsion or something? Mm -hmm. It's my basic question. Why are there lights on UFOs? Yeah, I, I, I often wondered that myself. Turn yeah. signals. No. Yeah. <laughs> As they turn in circles. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think my best explanation is they want to be seen. Okay. Yeah. Even if you're seeing something off in the distance where, say you're on a camping trip and like you see something with lights on several miles away, you wouldn't think, you know, automatically like, oh, they're trying to signal me because you're out in the middle of nowhere and this thing's so far away. But still, I, I think it, they would have no problem. It's not like they're needing to probably avoid one another. I'm sure they have yeah. some sort of detection equipment. Yeah. It's not so that planes don't hit them. I'm sure they can get out of the way of any plane approaching. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it just seems oddly enough like they do it so that they can actually be seen. So that means, by extension, that the sky is probably <laughs> choked with these things. Yeah. And only on occasion when they turn on their lights do we actually see them. I tell you, we were up in, um, what is that, Holton Lake at Michigan UFO Contact. Mm -hmm. And one of our friends had a night vision goggles. And mm -hmm. we got to, Jen and me both got to put them on. It blew my mind how mm -hmm. much stuff, I mean, I know the satellites, because, you know, you can see satellites. Yeah. It blew my mind about how much stuff is moving around up there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes. Yeah. yeah, I had a great experience with night vision goggles at a prior MUFON symposium uh, in Nevada. Went out into the desert with these night vision glasses, and I saw this pair of lights doing these maneuvers in tandem that were just impossible for normal aircraft. Yeah. And I wouldn't have seen it without the night vision glasses. Do you have a favorite place that you like to go to investigate or experience? Like, is it Michigan? Is it Nevada? Oh, I see. Um, well, I, I'm fairly well grounded here in Michigan, mm -hmm. so yeah, definitely the local stuff intrigues me. There are people that make cases that within the state that there are special areas, like there's those people that think there might be a UFO base under Lake Michigan, but I don't necessarily think the data supports that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, you know, I enjoy traveling, so going around and hearing other people's great stories is all, always a plus. How do you, you know, what's your thought on sub-UFO? Like uh, USOs? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did they say so? Uh, that's what I meant. I have a COVID, but <laughs> COVID brain. I don't have COVID. Yeah, but like, do you feel like there are, that is a possibility that there are underwater crafts that, like, go under oh, the water yeah, into the ocean? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's so many, um, and there's books um, that focus just specifically on this phenomena. Mm -hmm. And during the, the, when the Russia released uh, re their, some of their sighting reports, very interestingly, they had this underwater en encounter, which was quite hostile, and so uh, by the by the ETs. So, yeah, people see them quite a bit. Or the the recent um, videos that were shared by the Navy. One of them has a craft going into water and coming out. So, yeah, I don't know how much more difficult it would be to operate these craft underwater. I don't think it's any more difficult. Yeah, I think they can do it just as as easily as above. Like I think. It's if they're in space, in the atmosphere, underwater, it, you know, it's probably all the same to them. And yeah, there's there's talk of underwater bases other places around the world, like near Puerto Rico and things like that, uh, off the coast of California, possibly, possibly. I, I mean, it would be a great place to hide from us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like they see on the far side of the moon, there's mm -hmm. been a base. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just recently have been studying up about the far side of the moon and different mm -hmm. stuff and. I mean, why not? Yeah. You know, it, anything's possible, really. Mm -hmm. And we're doing the same thing. We're, we're talking about making the moon a stop-off point to go to Mars. Yeah. So why couldn't it be a stop-off point to come to Earth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, and then, you know, you get into, like, the, the bigger questions, like, well, maybe they can travel, like, a million miles through space in the blink of an eye and you know, with their technology. Mm -hmm. And if they can... There really isn't even a need for a near base. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, but then, again, there's probably several civilizations that are spacefaring now, and different ones have different levels of technology. And mm -hmm. so 
the moon base might make sense for some of them and other ones might not need something like yeah. that. And they're going to hide from us because, you know, we're <laughs> a very violent, violent planet. Mm -hmm. So they're going to hide until they can come over and do their own thing the way that the way that they want to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people say, you know, the you know, the aliens are waiting for us to like either control nuclear weapons that was a big thing like yeah. you know are we going to be able to keep ourselves from blowing up okay now that they think that maybe they'll come down or oh wait now we're there's difficulty with the climate we'll see how the the the, the humans handle that i think the next really big hurdle that the ets are watching is how we handle artificial intelligence oh, yeah. if if we create dangerous artificial intelligence a danger to us or danger to possibly them you know that's the next thing they're they're watching us mm -hmm. for yeah it's our history you know it's our, our history of violence <laughs> because you know? of yeah. because of us they, that's who we are they lock their doors when they come <laughs> close to the earth you know <laughs> yeah you know and, in my neighborhood yes that's a, they should. that's a great that's a great visual <laughs> they roll up the windows and lock the doors yeah and i don't turn uh, off the lights but yeah we're in Pennsylvania at the MUFON symposium there a few years ago and one of the speakers that we were talking to brought up a good point to me about the greys being biological probes mm -hmm. and because of the way that they're designed you know there's they have very small mouths but big eyes uh, no reproductive organs mm -hmm. stuff like that you know obviously we don't know if that's true or not but it makes you think about it you know, because we're sending out probes now. I mean, why not? You right, know, right. It's like they're Earth drones, sending out drones to the Earth. They're in the shape of. But um, you know, we want to thank you so much oh, for thank coming you. on. It was a blast. We finally got you on. <laughs> we finally got the recorder to work. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somehow it'll erase. <laughs> yeah. And I just wanted to point out something interesting is like I just was looking down at your your sign and the end of your last name is Sky. Yep. Do you think uh -huh. that's just like not a coincidence <laughs> that you well. have been interested in this? And the last name ends with well, Sky. I just you know I notice weird shit. If you want an actual answer, if you want an actual answer to that, yes, I do. So. My family, traditionally, up until my grandfather, just as recently as my grandfather spelled their name with an I. So I have a ton of relatives out there that spell it with an I. Okay. So my grandpa and his brother, when they were younger, my, my grandpa's brother said, you know, we don't want to spell our name and our name with E-W-S-K-I anymore. So I'm going to take the W out. So my grandpa's brother took the W out of the, the name. And then my grandpa took it a one step further and says, I'm going to replace the I with a Y. <laughs> it, and they went out and changed their names almost like people get tattoos, right? Oh, okay. And so now there are exactly 16 people with the S-K-Y ending of Konkoleski. Wow. And then, yeah, kind of cosmic that I, uh, yeah, I do that. Like, yeah, and, a I, <laughs> and I sign a lot of my books, Watch the Sky, which I'm hoping that like uh yeah. it's it's often what i have to uh try to correct people when when you spell my name you know watch the sky you oh, know, yeah. the end of the day. so it. they don't misspell my name 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you finally getting on the show. And oh, we thank will you. put a link to your book in our show notes. Yes, please. For sure. And, Absolutely. And what is Everybody. the website called that you can go to and get the book? Sure. It's experiencer.me. Okay. Um, so you take the word experience, put an R at the end, experiencer, and it's dot M-E as in me. Awesome. Thank you so much. We wish you all the greatest success and hope to see you, oh, you too. at the next conference. Yep. See you yeah. soon. It's so nice to have Bill on the show finally. And the reason why we say that we third time's a charm, it seems like every time we try to record Bill, something happens. It's a conspiracy, like the government's shutting it down because he has so much knowledge of the UFO and especially what's happening in Michigan. Yeah. And it's, it's happening a lot. And especially in mid-Michigan, like around the Houghton Lake area, there has been a lot of reports of UFO activity. Just recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I was amazed at how many times they get um, calls from people. Now, like we said in the interview, that the new thing is the Starlink. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people are seeing that thinking it's UFOs, but the UFO activity is definitely ramping up in Michigan. Yeah. Have you ever seen a UFO? No, I haven't. But you saw the um, space station. Didn't space station you? came okay. over last night. Do you think anything follows that? Like, I mean, it's so big. It's such a big piece of equipment. Yeah. But it's also so close to the earth that I don't think anybody, yeah. any others. And you'd see it, too. I just wondered, like, when our astronauts go up in space. Like, you know, famously, wasn't there a Russian astronaut that when he was up there caught on video some, like, um, things going across in front of the moon? Yeah. I don't know if it was Russian or not. I do know that there was a Russian cosmonaut that said that he saw angels outside of his spaceship. <gasps> really? I never mm-hmm. heard that before. Yeah, I'm going to have to look huge, into that. Wow. Huge angels. Oh, I want to see that so much. So, and also, when the moon landing ha- happened, mm-hmm. they actually, the astronauts actually were saying, they're looking at us, they're over the ridge, stuff like that. Did they, like, not release that? Or was that hidden for years? I think it was hidden for a long time, but, you know, it started to leak out, and, yeah, the copies are out there. I mean, it, it, they actually say, they're looking at us. They're, and what they did was they had a code word for it called Santa Claus. So they would say, there's another Santa Claus. No way. Yeah. I never heard that mm-hmm. before. That is so interesting. I, uh, I I wonder with the sightings that, that go on in Michigan, like, has, I mean, they see it up in the air, but I'm just wondering if there's, like, when Bill gets reports, I'm wondering how much of that is, like, actually seeing aliens, there's you know, on the ground, I'm yeah, saying. There's, there's different levels of that. Close Encounters of the Third Kind was mm-hmm. the big one for a while. That was where they actually made contact. But there's also the fourth kind and the fifth kind, which go into abduction and stuff like oh. that, and actual contact with them. So they actually do have accounts of aliens interacting with humanoids on record. So interesting. Have you ever heard of aliens implanting like metal objects under oh, the yeah. skin? Oh, yeah. That happens all the time. Do you think we should scan ourselves? I don't think I have to worry about that. I don't think I've been abducted. <laughs> At least I don't feel like it. They could buy you dinner first, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, but I just, I, don't, I just think it's really fascinating. And we've had so much activity, especially over the Great Lakes. Yeah. I wonder if they, you know, because it isn't salt water, it's fresh water. I wonder if, if that attracts them more than, say, the ocean? I don't ocean? think so. I don't think that makes a difference. No. I do hear, I, I have heard of, there was a farmer one time that heard, a, like, a noise outside of his house in the mm-hmm. middle of the night. 
and he said that it sounded like a train and it just stayed there and just you know made a humming noise so he got up went out and saw a ufo over his big water tank and there was actually like a hose coming out of the bottom of the ufo into the water tank and it was actually drawing up water out of that tank wow and he says when he saw it, the it retracted the hose and took off, and he actually saw in the tank that the sediment at the bottom was in mm-hmm. a curling motion. So it was actually drawing it up. That so are they coming to Earth to get water for some reason? I wonder if they, can, if they manipulate water and use it as a fuel source. Well, they could because of the hydrogen. <laughs> in it. And I was thinking, I, I was thinking because it's not salinated, if that... You know, they would need pure water, whereas... Don't know. Mm. And, they, you know, I mean, obviously, if they have the technology to travel this far, yeah, they have the technology to separate the elements out of the water. Yeah, that's true. It's pretty um, highfalutin. You know, and, and like we mentioned in the interview, we had the opportunity to look into those authentic night vision goggles. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe the amount of stuff that was floating around up there. I know. It's, like, I mean, you obviously see the satellites, but... There were things making turns. They were speeding up, stopping. It blew my mind. I know. It was amazing. So cool. I hope to see one one day. <laughs> a big one. Floating over Joe's house. Joe has the giant, the big most triangle. biggest tree in um, Midwest Ohio. Yeah. Like It's like a redwood size. They would probably come on and study it. <laughs> well, Ohio State University wanted to come and look at it but they wanted to core it which means they wanted to drill holes in it mm-hmm. and look at the rings yeah. and I'm not going to let them drill holes in my tree no I might kill it mm-hmm. yeah. but anyway so um, you know, our dad and his brother claimed that they had seen a UFO back in the 50s yeah. um, I wish I would had heard the story but they had seen this thing and then they ran in the house to get the wives to come out you gotta see this guy see this and then when uh, my mom and um, my aunt came out it was gone yeah so interesting but yeah i wish i would have spent the time to actually talk to him more about the stories like that because growing up yeah we knew about the stories but we weren't interested in the stuff back then right and it could have been a while. you know what we we need to look at dad's um cassette tapes yeah. and see if he ever taped that story mm-hmm. Oh, my God, that would be awesome. Yeah. If we could find that, we'll play it for you guys. So, anyways, we want to thank you for listening this week. Uh, thank you, Bill, for actually coming on the thank show. Thank you, Bill. And uh, I see him walking over there somewhere. He's talking <laughs> to someone else over there now. Very busy man. Yes. But, anyhow, thanks, everyone, for listening this week. Please, 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 like we say, always go up to our website. We have tons of T-shirts for sale. And uh, we'll see you at the next convention. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye now. Have a good week.